Okay. Welcome to Progressive News Network here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm the producer and host, Janine Moloff. This is our Sunday show. Well, the day after Christmas, folks, and if you saw anything about our adverts, uh, the show is aptly titled, The COVID Orphans and the GOP Attorney General's Responsible in Part. And this is very apt. You know, while everyone else was maybe talking about being able to get out in the shopping malls or maybe Amazon didn't get their packages there on time, there was a more serious issue going on. And I know we're all tired. We are. And and I apologize for what my voice sounds like. This is asthma voice. But we're tired of COVID. We're tired of being isolated. I know I'm tired of being basically virtually quarantined, not because I have COVID, but because I have a chronic lung disorder and I live in a state that is run by moronic Republicans who have outlawed uh, public masking and, and vaccine mandates. So it isn't safe for me, not by any stretch of the imagination. We're all tired of it. But instead of giving in to our lesser angels, if you will, this is a time where we need to find some sort of inspiration. We need to basically be the adults in the room. And unfortunately, too many of us have not. Either that or we've given in to the bullies in our own midst. And this has to stop. COVID is a killer. And it has killed over 800,000 Americans in under 20, in under two years' time, period. In fact, one of the stories I'm going to be uh, mentioning in this report says that that 800,000 mark probably is an undercount. That is probably closer to a million deaths. The United States roughly represents one-fifth, 20% of all COVID deaths worldwide, even in nations where they have little to no access to vaccines, such as parts of Africa, for instance, in Latin America. We have access to that, but thanks to the GOP, thanks to a bunch of idiotic libertarians, thanks to billionaires that have way too much money influence, people like Charles Koch, people like Robert Mercer, thanks to Republican attorney generals that put their own ambition above doing what is right for the public and allowing these COVID lies to continue. Thanks to all these groups that have literally, literally outlawed mitigation efforts which could curb this, which could eventually end this, which could save lives. But thanks to all of that, we are out of control. So let's look at this. So tonight we're going to talk about the COVID orphans. And you think, okay, what's a COVID orphan? Well, it's just what it says. A COVID orphan is a child or children who have lost their parents. Maybe it's their grandparents to take care of them. Somebody, an important caretaker in their lives that has died due to COVID. And these children are left to their own devices. This is the 
this is what the GOP has pushed, and, and actually corporate Dems are pushing the same line at this point in time. We still don't have proper leadership. So this Sunday after Christmas, I'm going to talk about the children that Santa forgot, namely the COVID orphans. Now, as a result of what I said before, irresponsible GOP policies, especially those pushed by Republican state attorney generals like Eric Schmidt here in Missouri, there are approximately 140,000 new COVID orphans. Policies which deny, which um, strip public health departments of any power to mandate universal masking in public, to mandate vaccination, that's been the major driver in the U.S. And that's what's actually pushed the United States to become increasingly a nation of COVID orphans. And even though Trump is not in power right now, and, and just recently, Biden gave Trump some credit in terms of, you know, uh, helping to push forward the, the vaccines. Trump is still involved in these anti-vaxxer and anti-masker movements. Make no mistake about it. The GOP of Trump still continues to push what can only be called reckless policies, which grant privilege to COVID denialists at everyone else's expense. So, we see in part of this story, 24 state-level let me start again. 24 state-level Republican attorney generals are fighting for the alleged liberty, if you will, to infect others with a deadly virus. The right of COVID denialists has been elevated over everyone else's right to remain alive. That is, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Apparently, orphan children are considered acceptable collateral. Let me start again. Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> Try not to cough too much today. Asthma is just no fun. We're heading into that season. I go through this every year. Apparently, orphan children, COVID orphans, are considered acceptable collateral damage by the GOP as they pursue this mass strategy of keeping businesses open denying adequate assistance to families, all for the express purpose of regaining Republican control and protecting America's billionaire class. And this, folks, goes all the way back to, yes, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce as well, pushing for this. And this includes politicians of both parties, obviously the GOP, but also corporate Democrats as well. And you're going to find that out in just a little bit. So let's talk about our first story. Oh, excuse me. So the first story, <coughs> sorry about that. The first story is um, basically the headline is the hidden U.S. COVID-19 pandemic, orphan children. More than 140,000 U.S. children lost a primary or secondary caregiver due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And the subtitle is, New Study Highlights Stark Disparities in Caregiver Deaths by Race and Ethnicity Calls for Urgent Public Health Response. This study was actually released October 7th of 21. Okay? And it, this particular article, let me scroll down here. 
was released by the Centers for Disease Control or the CDC. Okay. Now, it's no shock that there are more COVID deaths among communities of color because that reflects, that disparity reflects also the inequity of our system as communities of color are often um, shut out of adequate and appropriate medical care. Just call it out for what it is. So let's go on here, okay? So reading straight from this press release, uh, quote, one U.S. child loses a parent or caregiver for every four COVID-19 associated deaths. Let me read that one again. Let it strike, let it hit you. One U.S. child loses a parent or caregiver for every four COVID-19 associated deaths. That's a a 25% rate of COVID orphanhood. Let that sink in. Now, this is according to a a model that was um, released by a a journal called Pediatrics, and it was published on October 7th, 2021. And the findings uh, illustrate that orphanhood has become a hidden but an ongoing secondary tragedy caused by COVID-19. I would add that it's not just caused by COVID-19, my opinion, but also caused by the fact that we do not have universal health care in this country. Okay? We just don't. And those of us who have full insurance coverage, which we pay through the nose for, we can't even be assured that when we go in to try and get treatment, that the insurance company will actually fulfill its obligated its, its obligations because often they won't. In any other field, that would be called thievery, but in this country, it's called health insurance. Let's move on. <clears throat> so the findings also emphasize that identifying and caring for these children throughout their development also a very necessary part of a COVID-19 national response. Not just during the pandemic, but hopefully after. So they collected data from April 1st, 2020 through June 30th, 2021. And that's how they got that approximately more than 140,000 children under age 18 in the United States, quote, lost a parent, custodial grandparent, or grandparent caregiver who provided the child's home and basic needs, including love, security, and daily care, end quote. The study goes on to show that approximately one out of 500 children in the U.S. have experienced some form of COVID-19-associated orphanhood or the death of a grandparent caregiver. Now, there were predictably racial, ethnic, and geographic disparities in the the death of caregivers. Um, And it showed quite predictably that children that were part of a racial or ethnic minority had a higher proportion of orphanhood. That basically those children accounted for some 65% of COVID orphans. You have to understand when a child loses a parent or a custodial grandparent It has lifelong impacts on them. 
And I know there's a lot of well-heeled suburbanites just go, well, they'll be adopted or, you know, they'll get good care. They'll, they'll get over it. No, not necessarily. And I can speak from personal experience, not myself, but my mother's. When my mother was a little child, she was about seven years old, I believe, her mother was pregnant again. And she was told not to be pregnant again because, and this was before they had uh, cesarean sections available. This was in, you know, the early 1930s. Um, She died in childbirth. Now, my mother had a father that was very dedicated to her, loved her intensely, but he also had to earn a living. She was left with um, a few aunties while he was trying to earn a living, you know, during the Depression. And my mother was a wonderful person, but losing a parent like that had lifelong consequences on her. And to make it even worse, her mother died on Valentine's Day. So when I was a child, my brother and I, my mother refused to buy Valentine's. My father did it. We never understood why until we were adults, and then they told us. Here my mother was, little child expecting a brother or sister, and the next time she saw her mother was at her mother's funeral. So yes, when children lose a custodial parent or grandparent, it can negatively impact them. It, It can devastate them for the rest of their lives. And this, these are orphans, these are COVID deaths that could have been avoided. They should have been avoided if not for the greed of the GOP, if not for the greed and vanity of Donald Trump, if not for the greed of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and if not for the political obscene ambition of Republican attorney generals like Eric Schmidt. This was unnecessary. Did the government do everything they were supposed to do during COVID? Hell no. Not at all. For those of you that forgot, you can go back to our archive during 2020. We did, I did an entire series under that, under, under the title, hashtag, not dying for Wall Street. And it tied in all the things that happened in terms of lack of PPE, uh, lack of medicines, lack of ventilators, you name it. This was all caused. It didn't have to be this way. So we're get back to COVID orphans. I get a little upset about this, more than a little upset, because we've been lied to on a massive scale. Okay. So again, the study goes on to show how loss of a parent um, is one of the most adverse childhood experiences, or what they call an ACE, and it's linked to all sorts of problems, low self-esteem, mental health, um, risky behavior, substance abuse, uh, being uh, subject to exploitation, suicidal tendencies, you name it. And why wouldn't it be? A parent is a child's entire world. Think about that. Let's go on with this study, the CDC um, press release. So the lead author, one of the lead authors of this study about COVID orphans is Susan Hillis. 
She's also a CDC researcher. And Hillis, Susan Hillis was quoted as saying, quote, children facing orphanhood as a result of COVID is a hidden global pandemic that has sadly not spared the United States. All of us, especially our children, will feel the serious, immediate, and long-term impact of this problem for generations to come. Addressing the loss that, uh, that these children have experienced and continue to experience must be one of our top priorities, and it must be woven into all aspects of our emergency response, both now and in the post-pandemic future, end quote. Now, to those of you that would say, oh, it's the CDC, we hate Dr. Fauci and all that other brain-dead bullshit. I'm going to tell you who was involved in this study before you start screaming no. This, this study was conducted in collaboration with the following groups. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, otherwise known as the CDC. The Imperial College of London. Harvard University. Oxford University and the University of Cape Town, South Africa. After it was, it was published in the October 7th issue of the medical journal, Pediatrics. So you don't have to like Dr. Fauci, but the academics of this study are, you know, are there. Okay? Oh, excuse me. <laughs> This study was also jointly led by CDC's COVID response and Imperial College London. It was also partially funded by the National Institute on Drug Abuse, or the NIDA, and also part of the National Institute of Health, or NIH, as well as Imperial College London. Another co-lead researcher for this study is Dr. Alexandra Blankensop from Imperial College London. Dr. Blankensop had the following to say, quote, the magnitude of young people affected is a sobering reminder of the devastating impact of the past 18 months. These findings really highlight those children who have been left most vulnerable by the pandemic and where additional resources should be directed, end quote. So you can go on and read the study yourself. I'm not going to have a really long show tonight because I'm not in good voice, but this is what we're dealing with. So overall, some 142,637 children are estimated to have experienced the death of at least one parent or a custodial or other co-residing grandparent caregiver. Okay, now, this study, um, let's see, let me find this. They considered this analysis used mortality, fertility, and census data to estimate COVID-19-associated orphanhood, which is the death of one or both parents, and deaths of custodial or co-residing grandparents. Um, I'm going to read straight from this. Quote, COVID-19-associated deaths refers to the combination of deaths caused directly by COVID-19 and those caused indirectly by associated causes, such as lockdowns, restrictions on gatherings and movement, decreased access or quality of health care and of treatment for chronic diseases. The data was also separated and analyzed by race and, race and ethnicity, including white, black, Asian, and American Indian, Alaskan Native population, and Hispanic and non-Hispanic pop populations. Okay. 
and there were racial and ethnic disparities. Now, before I go on, I'm just going to say I'm not taking calls. So if any little, you know, COVIDians want to call in, you're just wasting your time. This is not Fox. Okay, so the racial and ethnic disparities related to COVID um, caregiver loss. Even though white people represent some 61% of total U.S. population uh, and people of color, it means racial or ethnic minorities, represent some 39%, the study results showed that non-Hispanic white children account for 35% of those who lost a primary caregiver, but children of racial and ethnic minorities account for 65% of those who lost a primary caregiver. Okay, and it goes on from there. Study found that the, the they found that uh, there were big differences by race and ethnicity. Um, so, for instance, one of every 168 American Indian Alaska Native children, um, one of every 310 Black children, one of every 412 Hispanic children, one of every 612 Asian children and one of every 753 white children experienced either orphanhood or the death of caregivers, okay? And when they compared, when they looked at the comparison between white children and say American Indian Alaska Native children, the American Indian Alaska Native children were 4.5 times more likely to lose a parent or grandparent. Black children were 2.4 times more likely and Hispanic children were two times more likely. It also showed the states with larger populations, California, Texas, and New York, had the highest number of children becoming COVID orphans. And, you know, I'm just going to put out there, this is my opinion. The racial map of COVID deaths, in my opinion, reflects the racist policies of this country. I'm just going to say it. Um, it goes on to say this study was also very similar to a study published in another very um, prestigious medical journal, namely The Lancet, okay? And that study was published in July of 2021. And it found that more than 1.5 million children around the world lost a primary or secondary caregiver, and that occurred during the first 14 months of the pandemic. Now, what were they calling COVID orphans? To kind, of ver to kind of explain this a little further. Researchers in both global and U.S. studies um, used the UNICEF definition of orphanhood, okay? And the UNICEF definition of orphanhood um, includes the death of either one or both parents. The definition also, quote, includes children losing one parent. Um, uh, let's see now. Because they have increased risk of mental. Let me start again. So the studies, both globally and here in the U.S., when they were talking about COVID orphanhood, they were using the UNICEF definition of orphanhood, which means either the death of one or both parents or one care, primary caregiver or, or both. Okay. Now, uh, there was, let's see, Dr. Charles A. Nelson, Ph.D., Dr. Nelson had a comment also. He studies the effects on adversity. I'm sorry. Dr. Nelson studies the effects of adversity on brain and behavioral development at the Boston Children's Hospital. 
and Dr. Nelson also spoke about this phenomena. He said, quote, we often think of the impact of COVID-19 in terms of the number of lives claimed by the disease, but as this study shows, it is critical to also address the broader impact, both in terms of those who have died and those who have been left behind, okay? Dr. Nelson goes on to say, quote, we must ensure children who have lost a parent or caregiver have access to the support services they need and that this additional impact of the COVID-19 pandemic is comprehensively addressed in both our rapid response and our overall public health response, end quote. Now, there are some evidence-based responses that can help these COVID orphans, okay? And this that can improve the outcome for these children. One of them is to maintain children in their families, okay? So, you know, if they have some other relatives they can stay with, um, but also children in foster care or still in their families, they need to receive services. They have to receive some emotional some psychological services. Um, child resilience, which is that ability to what we call bounce back, can be improved with programs that promote what are called, quote, stable nurturing relationships and address childhood adversity. And among these um, key strategies include, quote, strengthening economic supports to families, quality child care and educational support, and evidence-based programs to improve parenting skills and family relationships. Now, one thing I want to emphasize here, the general public, they'll talk about we need to improve parenting skills and, yes, help them with educational support. I've noticed that conservatives don't want to talk about strengthening economic supports to families. All right? So unless you've grown up in a very poor family and watched a loved one suffer, you don't understand the stressors. But this has to happen. We have to have economic support. We have to have not just a living wage. We need a thriving wage. We need health care for everybody in this country. Right now, we see conservatives that constantly talk about dysfunctional families. I would say we have a dysfunctional country. We just do. You know, it's every person for themselves. You know, it's it's the childish uh equivalent of that old rhyme, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. That's what we've done with government. And it's our children, these COVID orphans, that are suffering. And then also they say the strategies must be age-specific, and I would say developmentally specific, for children. The strategies also need to employ some sensitivity in account for racial disparities and, yes, structural inequalities. All right, so if you have, for instance, a black child who has lost, you know, their grandparents that were taking care of them, and maybe mom and dad aren't in the picture, just sending a white therapist there who's never experienced, even as an adult, the hardships these children have experienced, it's not going to work too well. All right, you know, and it's not just about race either. It's also just about experience. And I've seen too many people go into fields like social work or psychology, people that came from affluent families, you know, upper middle class, 
that never experienced any true hardship themselves, they do not have a clue. It isn't all just about education, it's about experience. So this is going to be a challenge. And did you see anybody in the mainstream media talk about COVID orphans? No. There's some articles that I found in the, you know, all online press. Nothing on TV. So we have all these COVID orphans. And why? Because mitigation strategies were mocked. Mitigation strategies such as masking and vaccination have been mocked. They've been attacked. And now they're being legally attacked by especially a group of Republican attorney, state-level attorney generals to literally outlaw any type of mitigation effort. They want to outlaw masking mandates in public. They want to outlaw vaccination mandates in public. Now, what you do privately is your own business. You know, if you want to expose yourself to a bunch of infected people, I really couldn't care less but you have no right to bring that infection into the public sphere. That's the point. So <clears throat> now we're dealing with Omicron. Okay. Numbers are going up. And so what do we have going on now? Just a few days before Christmas, a few days ago, we have a piece by Scripps Media. And it was written by Catherine Finnerty. And the headline is, quote, Missouri-Kansas Attorney General joins 24-state lawsuit against, get this, Head Start mask and vaccine mandate. So it wasn't enough to attack mask and vaccine mandates for adults, you know, in the public sphere, in the workplace, in stores, in restaurants. No, these Republican attorney generals, they, they went for our kids. They attacked mask mandates and vaccine mandates in our public schools. And public schools, K-12, that wasn't enough. Now they're going after mask and vaccine mandates um, that are being demanded of any adult that works for Head Start, which affects our babies. What the hell is going on with these Republicans? They keep talking about the liberty to not have to wear a mask, the liberty to not vaccinate, and so on and so forth. Well, if you want to live in a vacuum, fine. I don't care. But when you go into the public sphere, no, you don't have every liberty you want to. You don't have, for instance, the liberty to get into a vehicle, blindfold yourself, and drive drunk at 100-plus miles an hour through a school zone. And if you hurt somebody or kill anybody, which is predictable, you're off the hook. You don't have that liberty. But that's what they're arguing. That's what they're arguing. <coughs> Sorry, folks, just give me a second here. Let's go on. Okay, so there's this 24-state lawsuit, and Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt joined with the Kansas Attorney General. They're all Republicans, 
as I said before, the Missouri Attorney General is also uh, running for the U.S. Senate seat being vacated by Roy Blunt. So he's using his own ambition, you know, and he doesn't care. You know, he's using his own ambition to push this. He doesn't care if he hurts others. Or if he does, I, I don't know. Either Eric Schmidt is that callously indifferent or he's that effing stupid. I don't know which one. And I said effing, not the F bomb. So let's look at this. This is basically adding both the Kansas and Missouri Attorney Generals. They signed on to this 24 state lawsuit. This is against Biden's federal vaccine mandate, but it's specific to Head Start programs. Now, the petition was begun by Louisiana Republican Attorney General Jeff Landry. It is in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Louisiana, and they want to block the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services from enforcing this mandate. And the mandate would require that all adults, all staff, volunteers, and, you know, anyone else, any other adult who comes into contact with Head Start students to be vaccinated against COVID-19 by January 31st. Now, Eric Schmidt, the Missouri Attorney General, loves to argue that COVID doesn't affect kids that much, which actually isn't true. But he points to relatively low death rate. Well, that part, not as many children die. That part is true. But these, these babies, if they get infected, children do carry it. And they can just bring it home to mommy and daddy. And then we have even more COVID orphans. And I've asked multiple Republicans over and over again, you think this is so important. Are you saying that you're fine with basically us becoming a nation of orphans? Is that what you're going for? And they just sputter and won't answer. Now, the federal mandate also said that anyone age two or older that is in a Head Start program must wear a mask. Keep in mind, Head Start is administered um, basically with the Administration for Children and Families as part of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Um, the Kansas Attorney General, Jarek Schmidt, with a D, uh, issued a news release where he, his reason for signing on to the lawsuit, get this, the Kansas Attorney General said that he signed on to this lawsuit because the vaccine mandate, quote, will place greater strain on the availability of early childhood programs for low-income Kansas families. And he went on to say Kansas families are already facing challenges finding child care. Uh, he goes on to say the Biden administration's adoption of this one-size-fits-all mandate will worsen child care shortages. This mandate is likely to result in the loss of staff, closure of facilities, or at least reduced capacity for low-income children. It's another example of the administration taking shortcuts and failing to consider consequences as it rushes forward and the court should strike down this mandate as they have others. Now, that's what the Kansas Attorney General said. I read the whole thing because the other Attorney Generals pretty much made the same excuse. Uh, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt gave a similar excuse. Quote, to quote Eric Schmidt, quote, Head Start programs provide much-needed resources for underserved communities, single moms, and other parents who may be struggling to provide care. Additionally, requiring volunteers, teachers, and contractors to be vaccinated by the end of January will certainly lead to job loss and program cancellation, harming those underserved communities who rely on the Head Start program. 
We've heard from parents across the state about how these mask mandates are harming their children. The Biden administration does not have the authority to issue these onerous mask and vaccine mandates. As we have with all of these of his illegal edicts, we will fight them vigorously in court, end quote. Okay. I, I, I just have to bite my tongue to keep from just saying a, a whole string of expletives because these are excuses. First of all, having worked with early childhood and early childhood special education, people who work in those programs generally care about their charges. They're not doing it for the big salaries because salaries aren't big. They're doing it because they, they care about children. They want to return something to the community. And generally, these are the same people that are fine with mask mandates and vaccine mandates. All right? As for parents calling Eric Schmidt's office, again, Schmidt made the same excuse about attacking mask mandates in K-12 through schools, and yet he has failed to provide any actual documentation proving his claims. Where is it? And then where is the statistical analysis that shows that these parents complaining so outnumber or proportionally outnumber the other parents that are fine with it? Okay? As somebody who's been in education my whole life, I'm going to say it straight up. If I had staff that refused to mask and refused to vaccinate, I can understand a legitimate medical excuse, all right, issued by a proper medical physician, in which case that would be a person that would be required to test daily and mask at all times, period. But for anyone else, if they refuse to vaccinate and mask, I would say you're fired. There's the door. And as for it, 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 in the beginning, it was hard to access vaccines. Because in states like Missouri, the Republican governor misdirected the vaccine. But now, you can log on. I was able to find a booster and, and go, like, later the same week. It, it was, And it was near my home. It's not a problem. And the vaccines and boosters are free. So I don't th- – this is an excuse. And any educator, I don't care what your damn excuse is, anybody who has the privilege – of answering the calling to teach any student from early childhood on who refuses to consider the health and the well-being of the charges and refuses to mask or vaccinate does not deserve the privilege of continuing to serve. They need to be fired and fired immediately. That's it. And their licenses should be revoked. Basically, teachers have been abused for a very long time. This is the time where every person who's been in education, every teacher, administrator, uh, every teacher's aide, every associated professional, psychologist, speech and language path, occupational therapist, whatever you call it, all of us should immediately go on strike. I mean, wildcat it. Until we have sensible mitigation standards until we have everybody masking when asked to, and everybody is vaccinated. And that's it. And tell these attorneys, Republican attorney generals, to go to hell. Because this is an excuse. 
to say, well, people aren't going to follow through, so we have to give in to them. Really? Question. If we change the name of this pandemic, if this pandemic, say, were uh, a pharmaceutically resistant form of tuberculosis instead of COVID, would these people be saying the same thing? No, you know damn well they wouldn't be. And the reason COVID became political is because big business and the billionaire class are so damn greedy, they didn't want to lose a single penny of profit. Their greed is so vile at this point in time, it would make Ebenezer Scrooge blush in embarrassment. And we're talking pre-epiphany. So I don't care to hear Mr. Schmidt's excuses. Now, there were some other state attorney generals who signed on to this asinine lawsuit. And they are the attorney generals from the following states. Besides Kansas and Missouri, Alabama, Arkansas, Alaska, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, Wyoming, and West Virginia. And every single one of those attorney generals should be investigated for any uh, ties to the big money interests that want to end any mitigation efforts. And they should be investigated criminally for any extortion or accepting of bribes. Citizens United be damned. Challenge it. Just saying. Now we have another article here. <coughs> Sorry, folks. This and this is again about CDC data showing that COVID deaths are higher than publicly reported. This was an article written by Betsy Lanzetz, Mohar Chatterjee, Derek Kravitz, and Dylan Burgeon. The headline is new CDC data shows where COVID deaths are higher than publicly reported. And it goes into some of the other stuff we just talked about, especially by race and ethnicity. And the data shows that, you know, during the pandemic, um, you know, there's been a lot of COVID-19 deaths that really have been misclassified as something else. And this was backed up by uh, the Assistant Professor of Demography and Sociology at Boston University's Department of Global Health, Department of Global Health. Let me start again. This is it. Sorry about that. Um, this data has been um, analyzed. We hear an opinion from Andrew Stokes, who is an Assistant Professor of Demography and Sociology at the Boston University's Department of Global Health. And Mr. Stokes has explained that, yes, COVID-19 deaths have been misclassified, often as something else, like heart disease, such as death by heart disease, stroke, or a respiratory illness. Excuse me. Stokes is quoted, quoted directly as saying, quote, in a public health emergency, real-time surveillance is critical. This data will be routinely updated with a two to four week lag, and it also allows us to drill down to the county level and see how things are evolving locally. That is unprecedented compared to where we were at just a year ago. 
And if just a year ago, we really weren't anywhere because, you know, the Trump administration stonewalled. I should call it what it is. But we're still being stonewalled a bit. COVID has predictably had an unequal impact on communities of color. And that reflects the abuse that communities of color uh, take routinely. Um, it, this shows, though, Hispanics had the highest increase in death rates from 2019 to 2020 of any single demographic group. Uh, and these were groups tracked by the CDC. But it also showed that Native Americans, Alaskan Natives, and Black Americans weren't so far behind the rate of Hispanic death. Um, the death rate for Native Americans and Alaskan Natives rose by 37% from 2019 to 2020, and for black Americans, it rose by 29%. So the new CDC data shows that the 2021 death rates for these groups um, will exceed pre-pandemic levels, okay? We have another expert here. This is Daniel Dawes, who is the executive director of the Satcher Health Leadership Institute at Morehouse School of Medicine. And Mr. Dr. Dawes, really commented that the 2021 figures that uh, cite the problems for communities of color are, quote, really troubling, but the disparities were not surprising at all. Um, that it reflects the problems of healthcare access for communities of color compared to whites, uh, especially when communities of color also uh, when you're talking about not only access to health care, but insurance when they're dealing with chronic health conditions such as asthma and diabetes. Okay. Now, it does mention that COVID-19 vaccination rates for people of color are lower than white Americans, but that gap is, is narrowing finally. Um, you, know, you know, once again, this is what we're dealing with now. Um, and they're talking about home debts. And uh, Dr. Stokes said, quote, whatever the story explaining the difference between excess and COVID deaths is, it's in these home debts, and we need to get to the bottom of them. These were people who were afraid to go to the hospital, who were afraid to lose contact with loved ones, who heard the shelter-in-place policies and thought they wouldn't be able to get care, or who, if ICU intensive care unit beds were full, didn't have access. End quote. And, you know, we heard early in the pandemic, these were the people that died at home. They just did. They had no way to get to the hospital. Um, or they didn't have insurance. And they were too sick to even move. And so they died at home. That doesn't mean they probably were COVID deaths. Okay. And we have another quote here in this article from Dr. Paul Burns, who is a social epidemiologist and an assistant professor of population health at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Epidemiology, by the way, is the medical science of studying statistical trends in infection, statistical trends in certain types of um, medical or other phenomena to see which areas it's hitting, okay? And Dr. Burns said, quote, the combination of fear and misinformation around COVID meant people who may have contracted the disease were afraid to go in 
or they didn't have access to health care, so they couldn't afford it. Okay? And that is to our shame. You know, early on, remember, try to get a COVID test. Nearly impossible. People didn't know. <coughs> Sorry, folks. <coughs> That's why I isolated because of my my issues with asthma and COPD. All right. <clears throat> I didn't want to freak out every time I cough, which in the winter is frequently. So I just isolated myself. <clears throat> oh, boy. So they also mentioned what they call garbage codes are basically is synonymous with basically listing an obscure cause of death. So some coroners and medical examiners still use these garbage codes. They're kind of catch-all. And they're very vague, so they don't provide any meaningful information. So in 20 and 21, some 80,000 deaths were um, listed by the four most common garbage codes, according to CDC data. In one example, there were four counties in Tampa, Florida, that reported nearly 2,700 senility deaths. I don't even know what that means. Since when is senility a cause of death? It isn't. Um, now, Tampa, six of the medical examiners, I just lost my place here. Now, in Regional District 6, six medical examiner's office, all right, let me start again. One medical examiner's office in District 6 um, reported that they handle approximately 15% of the deaths in the Tampa area, and they challenged and said, quote, they've never listed senility as a cause of death or as a contributing condition to the death, end quote. And that was according to the medical examiner's director of investigations, Dr. William A. Pellin, who said this in a written statement. Um, Pellin also said that they're probably, doctors are probably incorrectly filling out death certificates and have for years, um, and this contributes to the undercount in COVID deaths as well. Okay, so let's go on. We've seen all this mess going on around us, all right? We have COVID orphans. It's increasing. We have Republican attorney generals attacking and legally challenging any type of mitigation effort. Um, they are attacking mask and vaccine mandates. We have... An un, a severe undercount of COVID deaths for a variety of reasons. And this has come to present really a perfect storm for just more death. So what's going on? Is somebody bankrolling this? And if somebody's bankrolling all this misinformation, who is it? Because these this misinformation, these attacks on mitigation and everything, they directly 
and severely exacerbated the pandemic. Well, there's not a shock here. Mainly conservatives, and especially there's one conservative that I wouldn't call him a conservative, call him a libertarian idiot, uh, namely Charles Koch. Now, Charles Koch is the remaining brother from what used to be called the Koch brothers. Koch Industries is massive. Koch Industries also is the largest privately held oil company there is. So I have this information from the Center for Media and Democracy. They're exposed by CMD uh, series where they investigate power. And this is a an expose written by Walker Bragman and Alex Koch. It was published December 22nd, just a few days ago. And the headline is how the Koch, spelled K-O-C-H, how the Koch network hijacked the war on COVID. So it starts out with what I call the lunacy and lies of Hillsdale College. Excuse me, folks. Right now, I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to run my intro, and I'll be back. I am back. Thank you, folks. Hopefully I'll be a little little better voice now. So this is from CMD, Center for Media and Democracy, how the Koch network hijacked the war on COVID. And it starts out with what I call the lunacy and lies of Hillsdale College. Now, Hillsdale College is this tiny liberal arts school in Michigan, and they announced recently that they were launching Get this, an Academy for Science and Freedom, and that their their um, their reason for being was to quote educate the American people about the free exchange of scientific ideas and the proper relationship between freedom and science in the pursuit of truth end quote. Okay, whatever. Now, the college president had a press release and. Basically, he said that, quote, as we reflect on the worst public health fiasco in history, our pandemic response has unveiled serious issues with how science is administered. So it should be mentioned that Hillsdale is a conservative Christian institution. They have proven ties, according to Politico, to the Trump administration. So for Donald Trump and For the mainstream media, make it sound like Trump is somehow, you know, seeing the light and he's not blocking COVID mitigation efforts. Bullshit. Okay. He has ties to Hillsdale, the Trump administration. He's still doing as usual. Nothing's changed. So the alleged scholars behind this academy, guess what? Scott Atlas, you know, the guy who talked about herd immunity, 
and taking horse dewormer and all that good stuff. And then they listed Jay Batakaria and Martin Coldart. All three of them are directly attached to right-wing dark money, the same right-wing dark money that's been attacking public health measures. These three also have ties to the Great Barrington Declaration, which has been dismissed by every legitimate scientist position in the world. And, you know, the Great Barrington Declaration is saying that, you know, basically people should just expose themselves and they'll develop immunity, yada, yada, yada. Would they have said that about smallpox or pharmaceutical-resistant tuberculosis or Ebola? I don't think so. But the Great Barrington Declaration is very convenient for big business because then they can just keep running, and if workers die while being exposed on the job, the big business is released from any sort of liability. That's what this is about. This is all about greed. <clears throat> so this new academy is the latest uh, nonsense where they're trying to grant the COVID denialists, what I call the covid some semblance of <clears throat> academic legitimacy, which they don't have, put bluntly. But... This particular report, it's not, it goes beyond Hillsdale College. This report by CMD really shows how corporate bankrolled campaigns that really succeeded in basically vetoing public health experts and, yes, hijacking our government's response, common sense response to the pandemic. There has been a war on public health, as this, as this report is accused. Um, you know, when COVID began to spread, according to this report, in early March of 20, you know, every state had some sort of a lockdown, even Missouri. At that point, all 24 Democratic governors and 19 of the 26 Republican governors issued weeks-long stay-at-home orders and restrictions on non-essential business, and this was according to Ballotpedia. Uh, and the lockdown worked. Cases were driven down. And it probably saved millions of lives globally, according to NPR.org. <clears throat> but it also disrupted the economy. And you know. We talk about billionaires like Jeff Bezos, who is vile, abuses his Amazon workers. We talk about Elon Musk, the same thing. But notice how Charles Koch evades media scrutiny even though his paw prints are all over this thing, through basically monies that he sent to all these different covid organizations. Um, there was a 2020 report from the corporate consulting firm of McKinsey & Company, and this is according to McKinsey.com, that the hardest-hit industries during these lockdowns would take years to recover Oh, and one sector that really took a big hit, according to The Guardian, was the fossil fuel industry. Oil demand fell quite a bit in 2020, according to the International Energy um, Agency.org. And here's where the Coke connection comes in. Because besides owning a lot of other different corp, a lot of other companies, Coke is fossil fuel. Okay. 
So there were these business line groups that were interfering, and chief among them were groups tied to billionaire Charles Koch, who's the owner of Koch Industries, and Koch Industries, according to Dismog.com, is the largest privately held fossil fuel company in the world. Think about that. So then the question is, when did the war on public health actions begin? It began when the lockdowns began on March 20th, 2020. And that's when Americans for Prosperity, according to SourceWatch, um, issued a press release calling, and this is according to AmericansforProsperity.org, their own website, and this press release demanded states remain open. And, and one of the things it read is, quote, we can achieve public health without depriving the people most in need of the products and services provided by businesses across the country, end quote. Um, keep in mind, Americans for Prosperity was founded by Charles Koch and the late David Koch. Okay? After Americans for Prosperity did their little spiel, then we had ALEC. You know, our friends at ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, um, according to SourceWatch, uh, publishing a letter, and that was on their own letterhead, ALEC.org, uh, which, which demanded President Trump enable the states to open. Now, a letter was signed by over 200 state legislators and stakeholders, including, quote, leaders from Koch-funded groups like the Texas Public Policy Foundation and the James Madison Institute. One other thing, ALEC is partially funded by Koch Industries, as documented by Exposed by CMB.org. Again, more Charles Koch. David Koch's dead. Then the Koch Network, they also went to some, uh, they basically looked, they looked on the AstroTurf Roadmap. And this is according to Time.com. And this is the AstroTurf Roadmap behind the Tea Party movement, which has always been anti-government. Quote, using its dark money apparatus to coordinate anti-lockdown protests, end quote. Participants for a number of anti-lockdown rallies were recruited by FreedomWorks. Again, according to SourceWatch and exposed by CMB.org. FreedomWorks is also a dark money group tied to Charles Cope, and they helped organize Tea Party protests back in 2009. Again, this is all documented. It keeps coming back to Charles Koch and money that Charles Koch has sent all over. Charles Koch has almost single-handedly fertilized the COVIDious soil. He's fertilized the, the uh, COVID denialist, spreading his money like the dirty, the dirty dog shit that it is. Just going to say it. Okay. Additionally, many of the 2020 anti, um, anti-lockdown protests, you know, where it was getting dangerous, people came with guns, were also promoted by the Convention of States Action, according to SourceWatch.org. The Convention of States Action is a group that was founded by an organization with ties to the Koch Network, according to Exposed by CMD.org, and this group is also with ties to hedge fund billionaire Robert Mercer, according to the Washington Post. Now, this same group, Convention of States Action, again, ties to Charles Koch and the Koch Network, ties to the hedge fund billionaire Robert Mercer, who, you know, again, 
paid for these anti-lockdown protests, all right, this is also the same group that wants to rewrite the U.S. Constitution, and I guarantee you it's not in a way that favors democracy. Okay? It goes on. In Michigan, there was a major event organized by the Michigan Freedom Fund, again, documented by Exposed by CMD. And the Michigan Freedom Fund is a nonprofit that's funded by Betsy DeVos. Groups funded by the Kochs and their colleagues um, also turn to, quote, a more insidious form of combat adapted from Tea Party strategies. They built an academic, quote, and intellectual network that would create and promote its own science to attack COVID mitigation policies. In other words, groups funded by the Kochs and Mercers and these other people, they, they took a strategy that the teabaggers were using. And you can say it's, quote, building an academic and intellectual network to promote its own science, to attack COVID mitigation policies. Call it what it is. It's propaganda and, and, and basically false academics, which, again, is another word for propaganda. So now we come to October 4th, 2020, the Great Barrington Declaration released to the world. It was authored by Stanford University Professor Jay Bhattacharya, uh, as well as former Harvard Med School Professor Martin Kulduff and Oxford University Professor Sinetra Gupta. And it recommended that governments allow younger, healthier people, go ahead, yeah, kiddos, get infected with COVID-19, and only have focused, perfect, focused protection, as they called it, for the vulnerable until you reach what's called herd immunity. Um, and the declaration in part read, quote, the most compassionate approach that balances the risk and benefits of reaching herd immunity is to allow those who are at minimal risk of death to live their lives normally to build up immunity to the virus through natural infection, end quote. Well, we've seen that happen, and we've seen people in their 20s die from COVID. Because it, well, we see the correlation is how much of a viral load you're carrying. So the more risk you take, the more, in other words, more exposure without any mitigation, it's greater risk, greater viral load, greater chance you're going to die. Okay. And according to this quote, the document boasted a veneer of academic legitimacy. Quote, its credentialed authors wrote the letter at a conference hosted by the auspicious sounding American Institute for Economic Research in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, end quote. Okay, I don't know what Bhattacharya or, I don't know what doctors Bhattacharya or Koldorf or Gupta are thinking, except that maybe they were thinking they were going to um, take their medical credentials and whore themselves. I don't know for sure. Um, but they were wrong. They had to know they were wrong. And then when you look at this American Institute for Economic Research, the Declaration's website, where the great, so the American Institute of Economic Research, they published the Declaration on their website, okay? And they claim the letter has been signed by more than, quote, 2,700 medical and public health scientists. And, quote, none of the authors or co-signers received any money, honoraria, stipend, or salary from anyone, end quote. Okay. The problem is this, the declaration and, and the people behind it came from right-wing dark money and corporate interests. And what they found, again, is documented by The Guardian, 
major newspaper, is that, quote, many of its signatories aren't verified. You heard me. In other words, these alleged signatories are liars. Many of them don't exist. This is a grift, a con. It costs people their lives, most likely. Now, the American Institute for Economic Research, getting back to, you know, the paw prints, the Coke money, um, they hosted and filmed the conference and registered the declaration's website as a Coke-tied libertarian think tank, according to Dismog. And it goes on to explain that from eight, tw- 2018 to 2020, the Charles Koch Foundation donated more than $100,000 to the Institute. Um, and then it goes on and on and on. It also, before that, the Koch Foundation donated nearly $1.5 million to the Emergent Order Foundation, which was before that called Emergent Order LLC, which is a public relations firm that also engaged in hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of marketing consulting for AIR for the American Institute of Economic Research. Okay. And that's as documented by ProPublica. You know, ProPublica that got more than one Pulitzer Prize. So the American Institute of Economic Research also received $54,000 from the Atlas Network, according to SourceWatch. Um, and they're an anti regulation group that was previously known as the Atlas Economic Research Foundation. And they received more than a half million dollars from the Charles Koch Foundation and the connected Charles Koch Institute. Again, as documented by SourceWatch. The Atlas Network also received some 3.9 million from Donors Trust, according to SourceWatch. Donors Trust is a dark money firm that is also connected to right-wing donors such as Koch and Mercer, and their sister group, Donors Capital Fund. We can keep going on, but you get the drift here. Okay. Uh, AIER's trustees include Benjamin Powell. This again, according to ProPublica. Uh, Powell, who is the director of the Free Market Institute at Texas Tech University, according to the Texas Observer. Um, and the Free Market Institute has received millions from the Koch Network. Ha- Powell is known, get this, for his defense of sweatshops. This is really sick. All right. The uh, the trio of what I'll call deplorables who have basically hoard their medical and scientific credentials, namely Drs. Bhattacharya, Gupta, and Kaldorf, uh, as well as representatives of the American Institute of Economic Research, uh, refused to respond to requests from Center for Media of Democracy. Uh, Kaldorf kept claiming he never received money from the Koch Network. Okay. In fact, to quote Koldars, quote, Coke-affiliated foundations funded pro-lockdown COVID research by Dr. Neil Ferguson at Imperial College, but they have never funded me, either directly or indirectly. Lockdowns have generated huge profits for Coke and other big businesses while throwing children and, uh, and the working class under the bus, end quote, according to Koldars. So he's already, you know, throwing Charles Koch under the bus and jumping ship. Sorry about the cliches, but <clears throat> so again, let's look at this great Barrington Declaration that I'm sure heavily contributed to the increased numbers of COVID orphans. It's been widely derided by scientists around the world, according to MedPage, 
www.medpagetoday.com. The strategy was condemned, according, uh, it was condemned by the Infectious Diseases Society of America and its HIV Medicine Association, while the World Health Organization Director General Tudros Adhanom Ghebreyesus quote called it unethical. That's according to the Guardian and the IDSociety.com. Thousands of medical professionals demand a government disregard the strategies that rely on natural infection. Um, to quote physician Robert Morris, who is an epidemiologist that has advised several federal agencies, quote, never in the history of public health has anyone suggested infecting the entire population with a pathogen with, with which we have no long-term experience as a strategy for managing an epidemic, uh, for managing a pandemic. But the Great Barrington people kept pushing, uh, and they brought on politicians, including Donald Trump, and endorsed it. In fact, two months before the Great Barrington Declaration was actually uh, introduced to the public, Trump himself uh, entertained and welcomed the document's authors to a White House meeting. And that's this documented by Yahoo.com. Uh, even though Dr. Deborah Burks, who was his COVID-19 advisor, warned uh, colleagues that the doctors were, quote, a fringe group without grounding in epidemics, public health, or on-the-ground common-sense experience, end quote. This is what we're dealing with, folks. All right? This is what led to all these Republican attorney generals attacking mitigation efforts. This is what gave Alec the opening they needed to write these model bills that essentially outlaw mask and vaccine mandates. And they all claim it's a matter of personal choice. Well, here's the thing, as I've said before. If COVID were more blood-borne disease, like HIV, for instance, you can choose not to have unprotected sex with somebody. But COVID's airborne, and the particulates are very small, and it doesn't take much. Once this baby proved airborne and highly infectious, no, it is not a matter of personal choice. No one has a right to infect others. Guess what? This goes directly to politicians that push these asinine ideas. So for instance, Governor DeSantis, or some of us call him Governor DeSantis. You know, he knows better, but in November of 2020, he ordered that most commerce in Florida resume, according to TampaBay.com. That included indoor dining, and he basically banned any, any municipality from enforcing any sort of mask mandate or social distancing. Okay. Declaration co-author Batakaria is the person who advised DeSantis on the approach, and that's according to FloridaPhoenix.com. He called the governor extraordinary for the way he handled the pandemic. And then DeSantis signed legislation banning vaccine mandates statewide. Okay. Texas Governor Greg Abbott lifted the state's mask mandate and COVID business restrictions in March of 21. The next month, he said that Texas could be close to herd immunity, according to statesman.com. Now, a little good news. Abbott then issued an executive order banning mask mandates, but here's the good news. A federal judge recently ruled 
that the executive order banning mask mandates was unenforceable. And why? Because it violated the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that's it. Boom. And here in Missouri, the judge who also struck down mask mandates and vaccine mandates and all that, Judge Dan Green, he's also wrong. Because when you when you ban mask mandates, when you ban vaccine mandates, it's something highly contagious. Yes, you are violating the rights of people with disabilities. It is a direct violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is federal law. And in schools, this is something Mr. Schmidt should know, especially since he has a child with a disability. When you try to ban mask and vaccine mandates in a school setting, that is a direct violation of the IDEA Act, which protects children with disabilities, because it potentially limits their ability to fully access the general education curriculum. These often children with disabilities have medical conditions as well. And no child should have to risk their life to attend school because somebody else's child or some parent whines that their baby doesn't like wearing a mask. Well, newsflash, some of the other parents don't, don't like the fact that their child may die because they were infected by parents who were too callously indifferent to put on a goddamn mask. So tired of this. I, I know this is a little over the top, but this is asinine. Okay? The Great Barrington Declaration has had a devastating toll. It just does. At the time the declaration was published, some 200,000 Americans had died from the virus. Since then, since then, since the Great Barrington Declaration, since the anti-lockdown protest that the Great Barrington Declaration instigated with money from the Mercers, and yes, especially from Charles Koch, the number of COVID deaths has quadrupled, according to NewYorkTimes.com. In fact, the number of COVID deaths in the United States is the highest known number of any country across the globe. That includes countries that have practically no access to vaccines or masks. Florida has particularly become a COVID-19 hotspot. The state of Florida accounts for nearly one in five U.S. cases last summer. Virus numbers surged in Texas, okay? And between the two states, between Florida and Texas, they account for one-third of all U.S. COVID deaths during this past summer, and that's according to Newsweek. Okay? But I'm not just going to pick on Republicans. All right? We also have a problem with President Biden, but I'll get to that in a minute. So we look at this first. And the lockdowns did cost big business the money. They did. Uh, Social epidemiologist Justin Feldman of Harvard's FXD Center for Health and Human Rights um, explained that, quote, paid quarantine and isolation means workers will be paid to stay at home instead of working. Okay. He went on to say that vaccine mandates could, quote, make hiring difficult during a labor shortage and that mask mandates, quote, signal to the public that there is a danger and they will not 
then patronize businesses, end quote. Well, of course not. You know, and, and the great resignation isn't part of this because of COVID, because guess what? Nobody should have to risk their lives for a job. That's number one. Secondly, the great resignation is part because you don't have proper mitigation strategies and people, not everybody's that stupid. But all part of it also is because businesses have abused workers for so long, and they won't pay and they won't provide benefits. It isn't all just because of mitigation strategies. So you've got dark money like donors trust, trust spent almost $800,000 to spread this lie that pandemic's toll was due to government interventions. Okay. In June, the Mercatus Center, uh, which is a libertarian think tank at George Mason University, began funding a database uh, run by Emily Oster. Now, Oster is an economist who has argued that the drawbacks of school closures, quote, outweigh the risk of COVID-19 exposure. Now, the Mercatus Center is heavily funded by the Koch family, and that's according to SourceWatch. Keep in mind, you have Emily Oster, who is an economist. Her work was cited by Governor DeSantis, according to NPR.org, and that heavily influenced his decision to fight mitigation efforts. Since when do you base medical decisions on the work of an economist? Even if you're talking about epidemiology, you have to involve medical professionals that are experts in the field of medical epidemiology and virology, the science of viruses. Not a financial economist. Ms. Oster's not qualified not to do this. But it isn't just DeSantis. President Biden hasn't really fought the herd immunity bullshit either. Okay? Even though President Biden instituted a vaccine mandate for large companies, he also continued Trump's push to keep the country open. Biden even uh, declared prematurely independence from COVID on the 4th of July last summer, and that is according to WhiteHouse.gov. Now, Biden's COVID-19 response team isn't headed by a medical doctor. Biden's COVID-19 response team isn't headed by a scientist. It isn't headed by an epidemiologist or a virologist. Biden's COVID-19 response team is headed by, get this, former investment firm CEO, quote, and so-called businessman's businessman, Jeffrey Zinks. Why the hell is a COVID-19 response team being headed by an investment firm CEO? Exactly where is Mr. Zinks' medical degree? This just shows that President Biden is backing down to these COVIDians instead of showing a spine and doing what is right. Get this. There was a recent scientific simulation that was conducted. Okay? And according to this simulation, quote, an eight-week stay-at-home order in response to the new Omicron surge, get this, could save 300,000 lives. So what did the White House, what did Biden's White House COVID response team say in a statement? 
last Friday? What did they say? They're just backing up this limited approach, which is basically planned incompetence. It was reiterated by President Biden's remarks on Omicron this past Tuesday when he said, quote, we are intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work and school for the vaccinated. Okay, here's the problem. And if the COVID-19 response team were headed by scientists, virologists, and medical doctors, they would know this. The vaccines help. It's true. They don't keep you from getting COVID. They keep you from dying from COVID or having serious COVID. But vaccines only work as long as enough people become vaccinated. If there isn't enough people vaccinated, like I approximate like 80, 85, 90%, then new mutations will develop, which will, render, which will make the vaccine useless, as well as any medicines they develop. It just will, not to mention the unvaccinated that will be exposed. So apparently President Biden lacks the spine to have a real COVID-19 response team that is not run by politics, not run by economics, but run by medicine and science and headed and run by actual medical doctors, virologists, epidemiologists, scientists. That's the only legitimate response. This is what we're dealing with. And all of this comes, it's not just Charles Koch. This is, this is, lob, this is happening from lobbying by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. All these groups, from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to these libertarian groups to these billionaires like Charles Koch and the Mercers, they are committing what can only be called ongoing crimes against humanity. And these are ongoing crimes against humanity, again, that are so vile, they would have put Ebenezer Scrooge to shame pre-Epiphany. In fact, according to this article, you know, one of Biden's first presidential promises was to clarify COVID-19 workplace safety standards. But the guidelines were limited, okay? They were kind of uh, cut down to just something very minor and, and impotent. And that's according to Daily, dailyposter.com. And that happened after lobbying by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber's done more, though. Uh, and the Chamber, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce isn't just this group, small group. They represent big business. You name a large corporation, they are part of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. I don't care if it's AT&T, Starbucks, McDonald's, Walmart, um, Coke industry, you name a company, they belong to it, okay? The chamber and other corporate interests have also pushed for a corporate liability shield, according to dailyposter.com. This this corporate liability shield would protect employers from any COVID-19-related lawsuits. In other words, let's say you have an employer who's been reckless, okay, who has exposed workers, overworked them, denied them the right to wear masks, and so on that corporate liability shield would keep you from suing, even though they were the cause of your illness and possible death. The Biden administration has also cowardly backed down to demands from the World, to demands from the World Health Organization to speed up global vaccination, okay, to push for 
basically sharing vaccines worldwide because this won't end until we share vaccines and COVID medicines worldwide. That's just the way it is. Okay. And the three authors that were previously related, previously with that authored the Great Barrington Declaration, they're now also affiliated with what's called the Brownstone Institute for Social and Economic Research. Now, that's in Austin. It's a nonprofit founded by AIER, the American um, Institute of Economic Research editorial director, Jeffrey Tucker, to, quote, prevent the recurrence of lockdowns, end quote. Bhattacharya serves as the organization's senior scholar, Koldorf is senior scientific director, and Gupta is an author. And according to a scholar at Duke University, Dr. Yamey, the institute has been actively promoting vaccine disinformation, and that's according to MedPageToday.com. To quote, time, Dr. Yamey said, time and time again, they, in other words, the, Institute, the Brownstone Institute for Social and Economic Research, they have peddled dreadful misinformation and disinformation about vaccines. They are, for example, vehemently opposed to vaccinating children, even though we know that unvaccinated children are 10 times more likely to be hospitalized. They very sadly went on television to say that health workers don't need to be vaccinated because they falsely claim vaccination has no effect on transmission. Let me tell you something about vaccination and transmission, at least with COVID. Vaccination does prevent transmission. Not totally, but what we found is there is a direct positive correlation between the viral load somebody breathes in and how sick they get. And what the vaccines do is prevent a larger viral load from infecting yourself. That's what it does. That's why you don't get a sick. That's why you don't die from it. And without being vaccinated, you are going to have that greater viral load infect your body cells, attack all your body's major organs. You know, we know early on that hospitals weren't allowing journalists and especially photographers to record how gruesome COVID treatment and COVID deaths were. And recently, they're starting to release those photographs. They should have done so all along because right now, people just don't believe it. It's like the Vietnam War. Nobody believed how bad it was until they saw the film, until they saw the photographs. This is the same way. Okay? This is what we're dealing with. We have COVID orphans, children that have lost their parents or grandparents, We have COVID orphans that are caused by the COVIDians, as I call them, by the misinformation, the lies that big business and billionaires have pushed through false, false academics, in other words, propaganda, to push this idea that um, this is all a big hoax. It's not a hoax. And you think, why would people do this? Why would the rich do this? Because they care more about holding on to every penny than they do about whether or not you and I die a gruesome death. They care more about, the billionaire class cares more about 
holding on to every stupid penny more than they can ever spend, and they care about whether or not your children or my children die a gruesome death. That's what it is. The billionaire class tries to hide and disguise themselves by giving to charities, but the billionaire class is morally bankrupt. And as workers and our families, we are acceptable collateral damage. Essentially, the billionaire class in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce views all of us as slaves. Slaves they happen to pay starvation wages to, but that's all. We are nothing else to them. And those of you that have been lured by this false scholarship, you need to wake up. You really do, because the people that you save by using COVID mitigation uh, strategies, the people you save from dying a gruesome death by getting vaccinated, by masking up, they may very well be people you love. It's time for all of you to grow up because this is what it's about. We can't keep losing lives like this. And why? Because the damn billionaire class wants to hold on to every damn penny. You mean nothing to them. They are laughing at you. And the politicians that serve them, the corporate Democrats and, yes, the goddamn GOP, they are like overlords to the rest of us. They don't care how many of our children die. We must have mitigation efforts. We must have honest science. And, yes, we must have people in charge of a COVID response team that are actual legitimate scientists, medical physicians, virologists, epidemiologists, and not a goddamn CEO from an investment firm. I'd like to ask President Biden, okay, fine, you think an investment firm CEO is qualified to run a COVID-19 response team? Fine. Then if you need surgery, let him do the surgery then. Let that investment banker do your surgery instead of a medical doctor. How's that for you? It's time to demand more. It's time to demand more from the mainstream media. Where was their reporting on COVID orphans? Nowhere. But it should have been there. Where was the reporting on Charles Koch? This is not an instance of false equivalence. The fact is, big money, whether it's the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Charles Koch through his many tentacles and foundations, the Mercers, their political whores like Governor DeSantis, Eric Schmidt, and yes, even to a lesser degree, President Biden for being too cowardly to have medical people in charge of a COVID-19 response force. It's their fault, all of them. We deserve better 
You would think we're living in the dark ages medically. We deserve the truth. We deserve full accountability and transparency. And we won't get it unless we demand it. And as for endangering our babies in the schools, personally, I think every teacher in the United States should go on a wildcat strike until we have full mitigation efforts. Nobody should have to risk their life going to work. And no child should have to risk death going to school. That's our report for tonight. Good night and God bless us.